O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. In case you uh, look at the bulletin, you'll see that Tony's name is there. As you can tell, he hasn't been struck dumb. <laughs> we just uh, forgot to communicate the change in the preaching schedule to uh, Susan. So, The summer I turned nine years old, my family went on vacation to Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia. And the five of us loaded up our old Volvo station wagon and we drove south from our home in Northern Maryland. We had a wonderful time there, and uh, a number of my memories, most vivid memories, revolve around food, which some of you won't be surprised about. We had a wonderful meal at Christiana Campbell's Tavern. Some of you may have been there before. Apparently it was George Washington's favorite place to eat. We ate there. We had gingerbread uh, warm from the oven, served to us, by bakers in period costumes. And we had a wonderful meal at a motel called the Cascade, which through the back window had a view of a beautiful waterfall that you could enjoy while you were eating. But my most vivid memory of that vacation is from one of the nights during the trip. I was awoken by crashing thunder and flashing lightning and whipping rain and the sound of a door that was slamming open and shut, open and shut, which was kind of unnerving because the door was locked and it was still making that sound. I remember feeling scared as I curled up in the little kitty trundle bed that I was sleeping on, but I also felt safe, tucked back in the corner, far from the door, surrounded by family and kind of fascinated by what I could see when the lightning flashed. I could get bits and pieces of what was happening in, on that doorway, seeing that door rattle. Well, Hurricane Agnes had swept through on its way north. Maybe some of you remember that storm. It was the most costly natural disaster in U.S. history up to that point. And we had fortunately survived unscathed. I don't imagine that the Sea of Galilee had hurricanes on it, but it was known for sudden violent storms. And these storms were the result of the warm, dry air coming down from the hills that surround the sea, colliding with the uh, cooler, moist air right on the surface of the lake. And they would make terrific storms that could come rather suddenly, very suddenly, and were known to be quite deadly. I don't imagine that Paul had been through a hurricane. At least he doesn't list it in his catalog of trials and tribulations. From his letters to the Corinthians, it is clear that he was deeply and passionately connected to his people, as he was with the people in all of his churches. And this morning, he is in the midst of a human storm with questions about his leadership right at the center. I don't imagine David and the Israelites had experienced hurricanes either. Their storm was one of national survival. 
We rightly decry the conflation of God and military might and victory. But the Israelites understood God to have been their rock and their deliverer amidst that storm. And this morning, that storm is calm with the death of Goliath. So storms come to us in our readings this morning. And there's a particular phrase that also comes from our readings that I think stands out in the context of storms. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says to them, Open wide your hearts. Open wide your hearts. Paul may not have known about hurricanes, but he did know about hearts. Open hearts. In his letters to the various churches that he started, Paul bears his heart and soul to his people. He tells them how much he misses them, how he yearns to be with them, how much he loves them. In other places, he gets really angry with them. He calls them names, not very nice names. And he lists those who have uh, transgressed, shall we say, takes them to task for their failures. He lists people that he's thankful for and others with whom he's had quarrels. He boasts of the hardships he's endured out of love for Christ and for his people. We heard some of those hardships, hardships this morning. Elsewhere, Paul describes being beaten with rods and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and adrift at sea. He describes all sorts of dangers and betrayals that he suffered. He has become all things to all people, opened his heart wide to all people so that he may win some to Christ. An open heart is one that is available, available for meaningful relationships with God and with our neighbors. Now, as you know, even strong, open-hearted relationships are no guarantee of an anguish-free life. In fact, the opposite is true. The more we open our hearts, the more vulnerable we become, and the more likely it is that we will encounter heartache. But it is also more likely that we will come upon joy and deep, deep sustenance in the midst of circumstances that may seem and may well in fact be overwhelming. Some of you may have seen this month's Atlantic Magazine, where there's an article entitled, What Makes Us Happy? The story is about the Grant Study, a group of 268 men that has been followed by physicians and psychiatrists since their undergraduate days at Harvard in the late 1930s. It is one of the longest-running longitudinal studies of mental and physical well-being ever. Now, needless to say, a sample of 268 Harvard men hardly is representative of the human condition. <laughs> Yet these men endured their share of the storms of life. They fought in World War II and in the Korean War. They suffered from personal depression, and divorce and alcoholism, disease, physical and emotional abuse, suicide. 
And though there are a variety of conclusions that researchers have come to about this data, one conclusion stands head and shoulders above all the rest. The only thing that really matters are relationships to other people. Those who weathered the storms the best had open, deep, and abiding connections with other people. Sometimes hearts need to be broken in order to be opened. This weekend marks the fifth anniversary of my mother's death from cancer. In the months before she passed away, there were endless drives on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and plane flights on borrowed frequent flyer miles and the juggling of work and job searches and toddler care, sleepless nights and false hopes, hard and good conversations and revelations, hearts opening to sorrow as well as to joy. It was an extremely disorienting time. And yet, the day of the funeral, we found ourselves reoriented. It was a beautiful day. That helped. We sang the hymns and read the scripture that mom had wanted, and that helped. But it was broken hearts, open to the people who manifested Christ to our family. It was broken hearts that proved to be the resting place for the eye of the storm. Christ came to our hearts in the bountiful potluck lunch on the porch of the meeting house after the service, in the gentle, loving, and honest words about relationships that people had had with my mother, in the lingering conversations as the sun began to dip in the sky, and in the quiet gathering around that opening in the meadow where we laid her ashes to rest. When we learn with open hearts to seek that power that announces its arrival just when we think we have reached that point that is beyond our endurance, when we reach that point, we can say with Paul in his letter, that he writes to the Philippians. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hearts open to God and to others, whether in the manner of the ancient Israelites or in the manner of the first disciples and Paul, or whether it's in decades of strong relationships, or whether in the grace of community gathered in grief and in joy, hearts open to God and to others provide the resting place for calm amidst the storm however fierce that storm may be. Amen.